Nick, thank you so much for taking some time to talk with us. Um, a lot of folks here care about Laudato Si, which is this encyclical from Pope Francis about integral ecology and the environment. And we're all trying to understand the environmental situations we're in more appropriately. And you're helping people see that even the environmental markets that have been set up today, whether it's the regional greenhouse gas initiative or California's kind of air program, there are tradable credits that people can buy and are going for a dollar per ton. So just orient us to how you got into this space and then a little bit about what your fund does in this kind of sure, interesting Sure, sure. I, I actually started my career in this niche, what was at the time a niche corner of the world. Um, I was a researcher for a guy named Dr. Richard Sandor, who kind of came up with this concept of environmental markets, right? With, with the fundamental idea being that pollution is a negative good, right? The ultimate tragedy of the commons. And the way to fix that is internalize that negative externality by pricing it, right? And the logical way to do that is on a dollar per ton basis and have the polluters need to account for that in their business decision-making. And so there are kind of two ways that happens, at least in, in the compliance and regulated world. One is a tax where you just set the price, but you don't really have control over where emissions go. And then there's cap and trade, cap and trade, right? That, that sets a declining limit on the number, uh, on the amount of pollution, but the market determines the price. And within that world, which is where we participate in these compliance markets, um, you know, there, there are some really unique investment opportunities and structures just because of the way the markets are set up. Let me just pause there. You mentioned two sure. really important words there compliance market. And let's just rewind 1990 Kyoto protocol. This was the time when all the countries of the world came together, decided they were going to try to set some cap. And through that created this clean development mechanism. There was tradable credits, compliance countries began doing that. Fast forward to 2000s here. Um, more countries are setting up the European Union has their mission trading scheme. They have some compliance credits, but that's meaning people that are regulated, you have to reduce the amount and you have to buy these credits. There's that piece of it. And then there's also what a lot of companies are doing now and say, hey, we're going carbon neutral, right? That's the voluntary. Can you just kind of characterize those two markets yeah, for us a little bit today? Definitely. Definitely. That is an important distinction. So in the compliance world, emitters have to buy and turn in these allowances for every ton of pollution. And these represent the right to emit one ton and their regulatory fiat. In, in the voluntary space where you have, you know, corporates, the Microsofts of the world, you know, nowadays, everybody, there are different project types where an activity, you know, let's say reforestation or, uh, or, you know, cook stoves, you know, where people are no longer burning charcoal in their houses, they're, you know, changing it to a more clean, efficient process. That activity reduces pollution and generates an offset which corporates can buy and retire to offset their pollution. Now, in an ideal world, those would be a last mile solution, right? Where they've done everything they can to reduce, you know, their scope one and two. And these are the ones that they, you know, are simply beyond their reach. So you say last mile, you mean like I am Microsoft, I have all my operations, scope one and two are like the emissions that I emit from my operations as a company. Keep going. Yeah, exactly. And I, I've done everything I can to reduce my on-site pollution. And I'll use offsets to uh, kind of take care of the rest. Now, that's not necessarily the case, 
but you know they do provide extreme value to you know the project proponents right they have pretty certain projects have pretty amazing uh community and biodiversity benefits that you know otherwise wouldn't be funded uh, so get us back to now there's the voluntary markets um there's compliance markets what's the scale of these things around the, the globe i mean are we talking a few hundred thousand a few hundred million tons of emissions like just orient us into the broader kind of ecosystem. yeah yeah as of 2021 um, year end, about 20% of global emissions were covered by either a tax or a carbon market, which has you know scaled pretty exponentially over the past two decades. Um, but in terms of <clears throat> in terms of entities and, and companies looking at this, really, you know, the coming out of the most recent conference of the parties, the the whole concept of voluntary carbon has really become in vogue. Um, but for, for scale, uh, California's market covers 80% of its economy, which is about 400 million tons. Um, in, in the EU, it covers about 40% of the economy. It's the power sector and heavy industry. In another market, we participate, Reggie. It's about 20% of the economy, just the power sector. And so all these compliance markets have different scope you know, as to what they regulate. And so, you know, they're not perfectly fungible, but at the end of the day, a ton of pollution in California has the same climate effect as a ton of pollution in the EU, in China, wherever. Super helpful. So tell us about the fund you've built and where you're at today with your fund and the investable opportunity that you're looking yeah, for investors to put sure. capital to work in. Absolutely. So we, in June of 2020, um, my partners and I, they were former Wall Street guys and kind of made a pivot to do something more value aligned. Um, and in June, 2020, we launched a fund in the California carbon market. Um, that fund has since reached its capacity and we were happy to return um, 62% since inception as of uh, December, 2021. And in November, um, we launched a new vehicle, MV Global Carbon Fund, which is an evergreen vehicle that has the ability to enter and exit kind of the whole suite of, of environmental markets, whether that's carbon compliance or voluntary, um, renewable energy certificates, low carbon fuel standard. Right now, our, our first and only investments have been made in Reggie, which is that Northeast power sector cap and trade program. You say Northeast of the United States. So this is, yes, you know, correct. Maine down through New York, more or less. Yeah, exactly. 11 States in the Northeast. Um, and we made our first non-partner hire uh, just started at the beginning of the year, who is full-time dedicated to researching uh, these markets alongside myself and my partners. Um, and, you know, we're looking at everything from voluntary to these other markets I mentioned, international compliance, whether that's New Zealand, UK, EU. And then we're seeing some kind of new, new instruments come up like um, methane performance certificates that verify certain natural gas production has been done, you know, you know, you know, benchmarked against his peers, way more conscientious of the environment. Help us as an investor understand how I'm making money. How, if I put a hundred million in, if I put a million dollars into your fund tomorrow, how are you going to build a return on that for me? What does yeah, that actually sure. do? Sure. So we, when we participate in these compliance markets, we, our strategy is to register with the regulator so that we can hold 
physical allowances. There are kind of two ways to invest in these compliance markets. It's through the futures market, where you just take a position and continually roll it to maintain your exposure. Or you can be a physical market participant where you register and can buy these instruments via auction. So the regulator has quarterly auctions so that the regulated parties can continually buy from this decreasing supply. And, you know, one of the benefits that we see and why we like the physical approach is that your dollars then flow back to the states, which then get reinvested for direct bill assistance for low-income communities, energy efficiency projects, um, support kind of novel technology projects. Um, but the way that you know, investors earn a return is that you know, the core thesis being that over time, the caps will come down faster than polluters can reduce their emissions and the forces of supply demand will push the price higher. Um, and, you know, there, there are a lot of real time happenings in the participating jurisdictions where, you know, so every five years, the, st the states kind of step back and say, how has the program performed and what can we do to make it better? There's one ongoing right now in the Reggie market. And if you look at where state climate targets and power sector targets were the last time they did this review versus now that ambition has stepped up meaningfully, you know, across economy wide targets and, you know, renewable portfolio standards, how much um, clean energy they want to get on the grid. And so this program is just going to have to be calibrated to kind of align with that increased ambition. And, you know, one of the ways to tilt the scales in favor of cleaner electricity generation is by internalizing the externality of fossil fire generation. And how do you do that? Higher prices. <laughs> so let me just try to share back what I heard. So I take a million dollars. Hey, hey, Nick, put it to work in this new fund you have. You take that. And when the state or other government says, we're selling emission allowances, you'll say, hey, I'm going to buy a million dollars of emission allowances, um, knowing that at some point, the actual polluting companies are going to need to buy those allowances from you. And you're going to hold them for a period of time, thinking that the price will go up in the future. And I think that what you're just saying is that as climate policy regulators, whether it's states or other governments, are increasing their ambition to reduce emissions, they're going to kind of say, hey, we're only going to do a fewer amount of allowances, fewer amount. So as the supply goes down, demand goes up, higher prices, the million dollars you bought for me in allowances today, that'll be higher price. Is that more or less it? Yeah, that, that's that's the long and short of it. And I will say that, you know, that that's just within what I explained is the Reggie paradigm. But with this vehicle, we, we do intend to add kind of other instruments that uh, similar dynamic, you know, but um, we do want this to be a diversified kind of global basket of environmental attributes. Yeah, super cool. Tell me about the investor interest you've had so far. What are some of the questions you're getting? How is it going so far? Yeah, yes. Yeah. Like. So we um, we are just kind of starting to market in earnest. We only launched um, November 1 uh, and kind of just did family and friends and friends of the firm. Um, you know, we, the California fund is about 300 million in AUM. And, you know, some of our more institutional investors, the, the, there's a steeper learning curve than the family and friends that, you know, followed us here uh, to get launched. 
But so we have 25 million raised so far in the new fund and targeting around 50 for the Reggie opportunity. And then, you know, as we identify subsequent markets and opportunities, the GP. So we we also have committed to both funds. Um, will also increase as we enter new markets. You know, we're, we're only going to add assets that you know, we ourselves have high conviction in. And so that's, that's kind of where we stand. And it's, uh, I was just going to say, you know, it's, it's rolling subscriptions, right? It's monthly subscriptions. It's, um, it's not like private equity capital call style. It's a monthly subscription quarterly redemption. Whoa, so big liquidity there, you're just saying. So I can yeah, put my money in today yeah. and get it out 90 days, you're saying? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay. Not, not, not in the business of locking up investor capital in, uh, in carbon. That and what kinds of returns have people seen? I mean, is this like a 1% opportunity, 10% opportunity, more or less ballparkish? Um, yeah, you know, so it's uh, in California, I mentioned, you know, we right place, right time, foresight, um, had a pretty stellar year there. And uh you know, I expect a lot of runway remains in that market. And in, in Reggie, we think that there can be a, a fundamental kind of re-rating in pricing. Uh, they're trading around $13, $14 now. And, you know, when you compare that, not necessarily saying all prices will converge, there are different markets and regulatory structures, et cetera, but there's voluntary carbon at 17. There's California at 30. There's the EU at a hundred. There's, um, the social cost of carbon, which is estimated between ninety and one hundred twenty-five dollars per ton, and then you have you know these independent reports saying that the cost, the dollar per ton price needed to keep us on a one point five degree C pathway is one hundred sixty dollars, and so you know not necessarily saying that prices will converge there, but given the increased ambition of these states, that you know we, we see a lot of runway for. Um, for these things to appreciate meaningfully. Allow me to be uh, provocative here, Nick. And um, sure. so basically um, that was really helpful. So like you said, 13, 14 bucks a ton is the current allowance trading price in the regional greenhouse gas initiative of the Northeast United States. You mentioned European Union, about $100 a ton. California, $30 a ton and the social cost of carbon, uh, maybe at 90 to 125. These are big numbers. So conceptually, if I believe that um, it is imperative for us to act now to begin to reduce emissions significantly, and I'm a pretty significant asset steward, um, and or I'd like to do a lot more on this front, um, I should be deploying towards projects that are reducing emissions. How, how This is like trading the market of people that are going to need it in the future, but don't realize they need it today. Like, Help me see where this fits in. Or is there a part of this that's actually helping the projects you mentioned earlier about deforestation or about building more wind power. Tell me exactly how this translates to real stuff on the ground. Yeah. Well, this is kind of the, the, in these compliance markets, it's the the economic theory angle, right? Where your participation and constraining supply in these markets is what forces prices higher. And those higher prices force the polluters to look at their decision set, right? And say, you know, do I want to invest in renewables or continue to comply by buying these instruments for, you know, the rest of, of, you know, my asset life, whether that's add carbon capture technologies or, you know, diversify their generation base. Um, And in terms of, you know, the tangible impact, one, like I said, the dollars from the compliance markets flow back to the States that get invested in, you know, real 
consumer benefits. And outside of that, uh, the voluntary market we're looking at where, you know, you, you can, where the funds flow to communities, whether it's indigenous populations in the Amazon, you know, uh, there's a whole laundry list of project types. That's where we're looking. And, you know, we've, you know, drawn a line in the sand that if we are going to invest in that market, they're going to be high integrity projects, right? That it, there's, it's definitely a bit uh, wild west and you have to know what you're looking for there. And so, you know, our intention and we're pretty resolute about this is to find projects that we know will you know, retain, but not only retain value, but provide benefits and, and do what they say they're going to do, right? Which is remove and reduce pollution and have money flow back to where it's supposed to go. Thank you for that example. Let's let's try dive down and in, in while Ronnie people in the Ecuadorian rainforest, um, let's say there's pressure on them to deforest or there's you know some activity that's cutting down trees. Um, they how would it work for them to not um, cut down the trees? Give us an example of where you said about high integrity in the wild west here. Give us an example yeah. of how these are additional and how, how are these certification protocols are being developed to help these most marginalized communities that I think are the most vulnerable in many ways, given um, oh. our world. How, how is this helping them? Yeah, like a, a, an example, um, I was just reading about a project in Brazil where prior to an offset developer showing up, the economics were such that people would buy a hectare for $150, burn it to the ground, and then sell it to a soybean, you know, a massive soybean conglomerate for $500. Whereas preserving the forest and, and providing, you know, a dollar per ton figure that was higher than what they would have made for flipping it back to the soybean conglomerate keeps the forest standing and keeps money flowing on an annual basis each year that it generates new instruments is new revenue to continually preserve the forest. So that's like just one real time example of how that would work. Super just helpful. Al- it's, it's just all altering the incentives. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Nick, this has been such a helpful overview of offset markets, uh, emissions trading. There's so much more to talk about here. Um, if people wanted to invest, what's the next step for them? Uh, yeah, you can reach out to us directly or Felipe. My email is nick at molecule-ventures.com um, or we our website, molecule-ventures.com. And you know, always happy to chat about our investment products and just have our brains picked on uh, all things climate. You know, we like to be a resource. And Thanks so much, Nick. Spread the good word. Yeah, Thanks, I really Felipe. appreciate it. Take care.